Welcome to Building Success, a real estate podcast. My name is Nick, and I will once again be your guide as we talk to some of the best and brightest in the worlds of real estate tech, operations, and financials across the globe. This podcast would not be possible without listeners such as yourselves, so if you like what you hear and you want to hear more of it, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast wherever you get it, Uh, whether that be iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, asking Siri to play Building Success, a real estate podcast. Uh, All of that helps us know how we're doing and helps other people find the show more easily. So on today's episode of Building Success, we are once again live from a MRI Software International Users Conference, this one taking place in London in 2018, a tech panel on the latest real estate technology trends. Uh, Moderated by Andy Birch, the panel included Richard Belgrade from Leverton, uh, Stephen Baker from Insight Software, and Dean Nixon from Top Up Consultants. So pretty lively conversation about trends in the EMEA region. I know we had one in a couple episodes ago that was more focused on North America. This one's a little more attuned to the EMEA region. So hopefully you enjoy. Please like, share, comment. Let us know how you like this episode. And without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into it. Okay, so I'm going to introduce the guys here. Uh, Let's go left to right. So Richard. Uh, Richard is the CRO at Leverton. Um, Leverton, one of our kind of technology leading partners um, in the AI field, um, doing a lot of work with us, both from a, a Horizon perspective and on the Platform X side. I'll let Richard say a few words and introduce himself there. Uh, sure, so Richard Belgrave, Ch- uh, CRO, Chief Revenue Officer. Some people think risk, uh, but revenue. Um, yeah, represent Leverton. We are uh, an artificial intelligence and machine learning platform um, that effectively expedites the process of uh, creating structured data out of unstructured contracts. Um, MRI partnership, particularly important because you know we're very dominant in the real estate space. Uh, have a lot of experience working with landlords, tenants, managing agents, property managers. Um, with respect to lease abstraction. Thanks, thanks. Stephen, I've known Stephen for a few years. Um, Stephen used to work at MRI. Uh, Stephen's now working at Insight Software. Why don't you tell everyone what you're doing there? Growing a beard is my primary occupation at the moment. Uh, it's coming along pretty well so far. Uh, no. um, yeah, I spent many happy years at MRI. I'm at Insight Software now, um, leading uh, the M&A in the strategic partnerships um, arena. And uh, Insight Software, if you're not familiar, many of you would know uh, Global, or sorry, Spreadsheet Server, which is the Excel-based solution that in- interfaces today with um, many of the products that, that MRI sells um, here in, uh, in EMEA. But, um, but Insight is, is a global company dedicated to reporting solutions for ERP platforms. So the MRIs of the world, but also works with like Oracles and you know, SAP and so forth. And recently through an acquisition also serves the EPM market, which is you know, the Hyperions and those solutions. Um, but, uh, but 400 employees globally, offices in um, Dubai and uh, uh, South Africa, as well as London and, uh, and Asia Pacific um, in, in Australia. 6,000 clients, um, 160,000 users or so. So exciting place to be, a growing space for sure. Thank you, thanks. And last but not least, uh, Dean, representing the implementation side of the house uh, from Top Up Consultants. Want to say a few words? <laughs> Absolutely. Dean Nixon, Top Up Consultants. 
Um, we're an industry-leading real estate software implementation consultancy. Uh, we uniquely partnered with a number of best-of-breed solutions such as MRI, actually Insight Software as well. Um, and we also have products ourselves that we, which we, um, we supply to the real estate industry. That's great, that's great. Um, and it was not just by luck that we got three people kind of representing quite different views of getting data into the system, uh, people getting data out of the system, and people just helping generally with the implementation of those systems to do both. Um, so hopefully they will give a, a good balanced perspective on a couple of the hot topics uh, that you're all facing at the moment. Um, it's interesting when you talk about technology challenges, I guess we could have gone for a multitude of different ones. I'm going to bring up this eye chart. This is a, a representation from Gartner of the top 10 technology uh, trends, not just in real estate, but generally uh, impacting the market. And we see going from 2011 all the way to 2018, how they've kind of morphed what ones have kind of just dropped off completely is really not making it. Um, uh, and generally the ones that have kind of stayed relatively constant are now considered probably a level of maturity that they've dropped off that kind of hype buzz area and more into just the mainstream kind of production. Um, when we actually look at that, um, we consider, uh, I love this chart and I just wanted to put it up there, but when, when we talk about technology, we talk about technology trends, we get a lot of hype, uh, a, a peak of inflated expectations about what it might do, then people actually start scratching their heads and think, well, what does it actually do? And how does it actually benefit us? And then they kind of might drop off completely into that kind of trough of disillusionment. Um, but the ones that actually have tangible business benefits kind of actually make it through that cycle and into that kind of plateau of productivity and being sold in the marketplace uh, in general. Um, so for today's kind of conversation, we've chosen a couple of topics which we think are reflective of ones that are uh, being talked about a lot in the market and also ones that either have already got through or are in the process of making it through into the mainstream or will do in the future. So the first thing that we're going to touch on um, is really uh, the combination of that internet of things, big data. But rather than talk about that and sort of like hypothetical examples of how that kind of impacts you, we kind of boiled it down to kind of really the, the benefit of that or the output from that, which is, it, which is big data analytics. So really uh, looking at how that can drive business benefit through that data availability. So Stephen, I'm going to start with you, just to give like your explanation of what we kind of really mean by that, that concept, and, and then we'll go through it. About getting data yeah. out and driving value? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, and, you know, Insight is a, is a solution that is targeted at this, right? It's, um, you know... Every business has operational systems that are required to run that business. They get up, you get up in the morning and you have to interact with that business with, you know, with that solution, MRI being one. Um, but to do kind of decision making and insights and budgeting and you know, even some of the day-to-day -day business, let alone like drive you know, really business like leading insights in terms of like where things are going to go and driving strategy, you've got to assemble that data in a certain way. And um, you know, from, from our experience in particular, 
Excel is a huge, um, Excel as a tool is a huge uh, uh, point of reliance. And, and so, you know, the solutions that we use focus on really um, efficiently pulling data out of a given system or disparate system so that you can interact and, and, and you know, uh, construct that data in a way to drive those insights or simply to, to kind of do budgeting or, or look at variances and, and things like that, just ease of use. Um, and I think that, you know, you're talking, that whole trough is uh, like sort of a great, a great explanation for, for this space in particular because, you know, BI, um, data analytics, if you went to conferences, you know, three, four years ago, it was, it was on all the, all the charts, right? Yeah. It, was all, it was like the buzzword of the moment. There was like huge promise. People invested tons of money. And those projects tended to look like, you know, big investment, high burden of like maintenance, and then very, you know, few people getting value from them, like touching the solutions. And, uh, and then, you know, so then it sort of fell into that trough. And I think, you know, looking at solutions that are, are a little bit lighter touch, a little bit quicker time to value, and a little more practical in terms of the end users being able to manipulate the data, that's kind of where we're getting to that, that practical plateau. Okay. That's my thought. Okay, that's good. Uh, Dean, in terms of your interaction with the clients that you serve, um, probably many of them are, are thinking about this. Or, or, or kind of asking for your advice on, on how to take advantage of this. What's maybe some of your thoughts around kind of best practices around adopting big data analytics? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw, as Steve mentioned uh, a few years back, there was a big, big boom and a big trend in the industry of, of big data and analytical tools. And that we've seen customers have pain points where the, they've been adopting these solutions and they'll, they'll, they'll have the, the, almost the fight of saying, okay, we've been provided this data analysis and this click solution, this data analysis in an Excel solution, this data analysis in, in, a, in a Power BI solution, and almost information overload to a certain extent. It, 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 has to be, it has to be tamed down and obviously presented in a way that it can be analyzed and, and reviewed efficiently, I think is, is the key thing to learn there. Uh, there are, you know, you'll look at many BI solutions, many big data analytical tools, and there, there are literally hundreds and hundreds on the market. Yeah. And, I think companies get, to a certain extent, get carried away by trying to adopt all these different solutions mm -hmm. and not actually end up. We, we tend to, we, we, we quite often find a lot of the report analytic people we deal with on a day to day basis spend more of their time producing reports and analysing the reports, if you see what I mean. So we find that's, that's, that's one, sort of one of the common pain points I, I find from, a, from an implementation side of things, certainly. Yeah. Um, and Richard, um, your views? Uh, on this area? I think one of the things I've noticed um, is you know, big data comes to the market, uh, everyone's talking about it, but actually no one's really building a proper data strategy. Uh, so people are looking, spending money on tools, you know, shoving data here, there and everywhere, but they're actually not really asking themselves to begin with, you know, what questions do I want to ask of this data? What conclusions do I want to try and arrive at? Um, you know, I've worked with uh, a bunch of companies that actually have been deterred from looking at our technology because they got burned on a big data journey. And I think, you know, for me, outside in, I, I, the reasons were uh, they didn't have a proper strategy really around what they were trying to achieve. Uh, and I think that's often the case when you get these kind of in vogue uh, technologies like AI, like blockchain, kind of people just think that everyone's doing it, I've got to try and do it, um, and end up actually kind of... Um, yeah, I mean, diluting the impact that the technology is meant to have. Um, no, that's a classic example of like, you've got a hammer, 
and then trying to go and find the nails, right? Versus like, yeah. you know, what problems are you trying to solve, you know, and get to that and then find the most efficient way to solve them, which may not be building a data lake, for example. Correct, exactly. So, so uh, you know, I've seen recently uh, with a number of organizations, particularly large, larger ones, um, that they're starting to designate someone as the chief data officer. Um, do you think that that's a, a reasonable strategy? Do you have to be a certain size to do that? Um, who is responsible uh, for, for that kind of data role in the organization? Um, Steve. I think it's an interesting question, and I, like personally, I, you know, the idea of a, of a chief data officer to me, um, at least, in, in a, you know, I'm not sure we snap the chalk line as, as to where that makes sense in the size of an enterprise, but I think you know, elevating that position to an executive level to me makes a lot of sense because historically you have people sourcing or building solutions to solve a specific problem in a specific division of the company, and the data piece is always secondary. Nobody's like really, you know, that, that's, you know, being able to share data and consolidate data is not a primary, like, use case. When you elevate that, you know, data um, consideration to that executive level, I think that turns that on its head. And then you start looking for vendors that support a strategy like that as well, because that tends to be a secondary thing in vendor selection. And that's why you end up with a vendor like MRI that's open and connected and kind of support that data strategy. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of dancing around your question. Like, I'm not sure what the right level, the size is, but I think it's critically important. And when people are investing incredible sums of money in the solutions, like, it does make sense. Like, I think before you invest, you know, millions of dollars in a data solution, you ought to have somebody at an executive level that's, a, that's accountable for it. To me, that's a, a reasonable ROI investment. Yeah. Uh, Richard? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the last word you said was, was the, the, the most important, right? The accountability. I think without that executive level buy-in, uh, you're never going to get that. You know, I guess, you know, we probably all tried selling into uh, people whose day job it is not actually really to care about data and technology. So, you know, you, you kind of, you sell something in, uh, all of a sudden the BAU kind of burden takes over and actually you, you kind of, you're taking one step forward, two steps back. Um, so completely agree with the sentiment, uh, very, very important. Um, and Dean, your perspective from an implementation perspective, um, do the successful implementations correlate to someone that's clear, clearly designated as having kind of responsibilities in these areas? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's very important to have someone with a clear vision um, to in order to, to obviously facilitate that successful implementation. Um, as I say, I quite like the, the concept of the, the chief data officer within an organisation, but that's obviously to make sure that, that all the obviously all the relevant uh, exactly what these guys are saying basically to a certain extent that if you're investing that sort of money in 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 a, in a tool, you need to make sure that it's guided in the right way from an executive level, and all the factors are taken into account, <coughs> the vendor and the actual data itself. So, yeah. Okay. Um, maybe a show of hands from the audience. Who's got someone they think is a a chief data officer in their organization, or is it simply you? Okay, a few of you. Um, who has maybe the CFO as the chief data officer, perhaps? Yeah, a few of you. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, finance typically is the gatekeeper to a lot of the data. Uh, in the organization. I, I think it's interesting, but how often is it like articulated that that's like, you know, is that an MBO or main business objective for a CFO? I don't know if that's that common. 
Like, and it might be that. Yeah, it's, that's it's a, a good question. Yeah. Because I think what we're seeing is a change in uh, direction, perhaps, in terms of what the uh, Office of Finance, the CFO, is actually responsible in the, in the organization. It used to be just processing the data, paying the bills, um, producing kind of the financial statements. But it seems to me that a lot more organizations, that's, it's, it's more broad than that, it's more strategic now than it ever used to be. Um, uh, and, and, and they kind of are, are perhaps building um, at least a lot of the analytics around company strategy um, as a result of that shift. Thoughts on, on that maybe? No, it's okay. I would just say, it should, I mean, it should be. I mean, whether it's a CRO or not, I think having somebody who is clearly accountable yeah. for driving an outcome is key. Um, okay. Yeah. okay. Any questions on this topic? No? Okay, good. All right. Um, just a, a few additional kind of comments from me. Um, I think as it relates specifically to real estate, um, it helps to make that ever more complex uh, industry kind of more transparent and accessible for organizations, helps them to make those decisions a lot quicker. Um, using tools like uh, MRI's analytics solution or the spreadsheet server solution gives people the capability for that self-service access, which I think is another kind of key criteria when you're considering uh, analytics solutions that you're actually putting it in the hands of the key kind of business users, as opposed to kind of sending it off to IT and kind of raising some kind of request. And it takes a couple of weeks to get kind of some data dump or, or report out of, out of uh, some system. Um, I think the data volumes are, are, are exploding. People are collecting a lot more data. Um, do you think that that's, uh, that that's true, that people are actually getting more data together generally about their business now to help kind of drive um, information and intelligence for their business? Yeah. I, think, I think the education, obviously companies' education of how valuable data is now has made, made uh, people a lot more aware of the data that's around them and they're storing it in obviously a lot more logical way these days, uh, making more use of it. Um, so certainly, I think, yeah, I think companies certainly have taken more advantage and stored more, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and just simply the technology today, I think that the, the visualizations that are provided <coughs> helps drive better business decisions as well. Mm. Being able to see maybe instead of, like this example here, for instance, you know, we're seeing um, a shopping center where uh, perhaps um, if you had it just in a list report, it wouldn't be so obvious as to which tenants are overperforming or underperforming um, in that shopping centre. Um, but having it colour coded and maybe also reflecting risk associated with those tenants in terms of when the uh, leases, etc., are expiring um, becomes invaluable in terms of being able to uh, make those decisions more quickly. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, you know, actually I was talking to Neil Harrison, the, the leader, the product management leader for, for Horizon earlier, and like just having like the geospatial data and the new dashboard for Horizon, I mean, it just, 
it brings that whole context to life, the dashboard, you know, just the, I think it engages the brain in a different way as well. Like people are more apt to consume the data and, it, and maybe that's your point, like that yeah. you see it like represented that way. But um, just going back to your previous question, like the data volume thing, I read something that said that by 2020, there's gonna be 1.7 megabytes of data created per second for every human on earth. Like <laughs> that's mind boggling, yeah. you know? Now I assume a lot of that's gonna be video data, yeah. I mean, it would have to be, right? But, but that being said, like, you know, I think one of the, one of the problems is going to be, A, how do you, di you know, digest data that's created in an organic way? But B, like, how do you, how do you process that? I mean, you've got you to be able to, I think there's a, there's a question of, like, maybe we're collecting more data, but is it the right data? Like, maybe yeah. we're not being selective enough, you know? And I think that maybe it goes back to the question of, like, what, before you start collecting every data point available, like, what problem are you, are you trying to solve? Yeah, but also how are you collecting it, right? You know, we've seen yeah. a lot of businesses uh, that are looking at AI who have been collecting data for two to three years, but be uh, using humans to do so. Uh, now, humans have humans get tired. Humans make mistakes. Humans don't really have a consistent approach to capturing data. So, you spend two years building this kind of you know, repository of information, and all of a sudden you can't do anything with it because your your data point X is meant to equate to data point Y is, is captured in a completely different way. Uh, and that's something which maybe we'll come on to talk about, but I think that's something which uh, you know, AI really supports with, right? Because it's, uh, it doesn't get more tired the more data you expose to it, uh, and it has a very consistent approach to the, the formulation of the data that's captured. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's a good point, and it's a good segue into, into the next topic. Um, you know, it, it, in terms of from a big data analytics perspective, it, it, this is the one that's already out there. There's lots of tools out there that you can take advantage of. And there's a, a lot of expertise now in these um, so that you can actually uh, implement these solutions uh, very successfully now to meet your business requirements. Um, one that's probably uh, more recent in terms of the development um, and, and still people are kind of struggling with some of the terms is artificial intelligence. Wow, that woke you up, didn't they? Um, a picture of Arnie um, from Terminator um, uh, to reflect my kind of AI apologies. <laughs> it's gonna sit there for a few minutes, so I'll get used to it. Um, but um, in, in terms of artificial intelligence, I, I think there's a lot of confusion. We hear the terms AI, we hear the terms machine learning, uh, we hear the terms robotic process automation, um, uh, Richard, why don't you help us understand the differences between those, uh, those terms? Sure. So I think AI, uh, in a very rudimentary sense, is effectively giving machines uh, the ability to, to replicate human behavior or processes. Uh, it's an umbrella term, right? I think actually the, the real life applications of, of AI go one step deeper. That's when you get onto things like machine learning, deep learning, uh, RPA. Machine learning, uh, you know, incredible technology. Uh, it's a subset of artificial intelligence. Um, it effectively relies on mathematical models that without programming, um, learn when exposed to data. So let me just kind of paint a picture. If I, if I um, talk through a real life example, so, so at Leverton <coughs> we have a neural network, uh, machine learning, um, that when we uh, expose it to, to lease contracts, uh, and tell the machine that a rent charge within the lease contract equals to uh, you know, a rent charge data point. Um, it is constantly learning those examples 
as such, if I upload a lease contract that the software has never seen, it's able to pick out and find those terms automatically. Um, it's very, very similar to how <coughs> a child learns. Uh, so if you've got a young boy, he's learning um, you know, day-to-day objects. Uh, he looks at that chair, says, mommy, daddy, that's a table. No, it's a chair. The following day, does the same thing with a, a chair that looks completely different. You know, two or three examples in, he's kind of painting this picture as to what a chair really is. Now, you don't need to then give him all of the rules that make up what a potential chair looks like, right? He's seen enough uh, to be able to ascertain that every time he sees an object with a back, doesn't matter what color, four legs, maybe three legs, he knows it's a chair. And that really is the kind of the, the paradigm that sits behind uh, machine learning technology. Um, incredibly powerful, I think we're still, um, I mean, we've all got it on our phones, right? But you know, I think that no one really recognizes, things like Siri, things like Google Translate, you know, they always use, use machine learning, but it's more in a B2C sense. And the B2B world, I think, is, is still waking up to really how powerful this technology can be. Uh, you know, RPA, uh, it's kind of, uh, <laughs> the way I was explain RPA, ro robotic process automation, uh, for those that <coughs> don't know. It's really a combination of, of software and, and machine learning. Um, it uses bots to sort of replicate high volume, uh, relatively simplistic tasks like that data entry typically um, is it, used predominantly for. Um, think of it like, a, like an Excel macro. Uh, you know, in Excel macro, you effectively perform a function within Excel and you record it and then you can repeat that function on new data sets. Um, and, and RPA takes that one step further. You can you know, record humans doing things like data entry and then roll that kind of bot and that learning onto to new processes used predominantly in things like um, AP processes, so uh, improving uh, invoicing, uh, etc. Okay, okay, great. Um, Hand over to Dean. Uh, Dean, I know you've got like, some practical applications <laughs> of, of how you've adopted some of those different technologies with your clients. With not as far as in terms of the AI space, we haven't. No, of course not. I mean, we we're still for us. I think we're still quite early on in the, in, in the AI space in terms of the day-to-day -day implementations that we that we do. Um, primarily, we do obviously property management, investment management solution. And yeah. you know, in, in that space, it's still it's still quite a too, quite a young young technology, and I think people are not reluctant to adopt it. Um, things such as obviously lease processing, things like that, something that's reusable. But it's not to say that 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 technology can't be adopted in in in, in property management quite easily um, on on a day to day basis. There are obviously a lot of tasks that are done by by property managers, owner operators on a day to day basis, which an AI AI utility would be perfectly. Use, could be useful, and obviously cut down on a, a lot of unnecessary unnecessary turn. I mean, it was just saying about the, the you know the AI learning and the, and the bots and things like that. I heard a statistic the other day that um, I think excuse the exact percentage, but I think it's something like seventy five percent of all Microsoft support chats now are done automatically by AI and bots. There's no there's no person on the end of the on the end of the chat window anymore, and only when it comes to that exception, then obviously then someone else gets involved and. Obviously, the, the the possibilities for for our industry and and how they can relate to it obviously are are, are fantastic. Great, great. And Stephen, are you, are you seeing it on that side as well from a from an insight software perspective? Are you using that intelligence in your analytics tools? We we aren't at this point really. Um, it's 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 mainly human interaction. I mean, I think one area where where I think. Um, 
I see a practical application of, of potential benefit is a simplistic one. I mean, just referring, you know, I, I, I always, I don't know where the line is, right, between AI, because there's bots, but if you train them, they're not really AI, because you're not learning or whatever. But like, you know, the ability, you know, we, one of the big struggles we see in our arena is siloed data. I mean, so you've got rudimentary tasks, you've got siloed data, and you know, the application of bots to do um, a very simplistic and perhaps like crude um, sort of data integration you know, that, that's something that, that we've seen and I think has potential. And, and the, at the absence of like being able to build a, a secure, robust integration between systems, you can have a bot go in. I mean, that's like, like, you wouldn't have a person sit there and like go read a bunch of columns, but you can have a bot go in and like read them off and then push them over here. And suddenly you've got this, uh, yeah. you know, data stack you didn't have before and you didn't have to build a giant data lake, right? I mean, just again, like practical application of, of some of these tools versus like trying to go to Mars or whatever. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, do you think it's fair for me to say that, you know, um, this is a really important area for real estate more than other areas, simply because we've struggled for years in terms of creating data standards and having any kind of concept of data exchanges. Um, it, it's, it seems to me that some of the, let's say, the heritage um, Software companies have really not done a great deal in terms of helping people collaborate <coughs> with, with data. Um, does, does te is technology fixing the problem that the industry has kind of created in the first place? It's, it's trying to. Um, you know, so a bit of background, Leverton's been around for about six years, uh, four and a half years predominantly in Germany, really working with law firms to speed up transactions. When I came to the UK to kick things off, actually before I ever went and sold anything, I went around asking people, uh, if I've got a technology that could promise A, B, and C, uh, what kind of challenges, problems do you have, do you want solved? And the, the primary one was, I just do not trust the quality of data that sits in MRI, Horizon, mm. Yardi. Um, you, know, you unpick that, and I think it's because, A, the process is always relatively um, uh, opaque. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you've got three or four people involved in a process to take, turn a document into a bunch of uh, you know, data sitting in your, your billing engine. You can't trace that process. The moment you see it in MRI, how do you really know that's the right break option, renewal date, whatever? And I think that's one of the things that, that we've tried to solve with our platform. Now, uh, you know, we're not there yet. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of it's slow progress. Um, but I, I certainly believe that technology is the answer um, to, to kind of uh, you know, encourage a paradigm shift in, in the quality of data that sits at the heart of the you know, decisions that this industry makes day in, day out. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 would, I would agree with that. It's actually interesting, um, certainly I'm seeing the kind of the, the larger organizations. We, we had our IEC, as was mentioned uh, earlier this morning in Atlanta a couple of months back. Um, for that, we actually gave out some awards to different clients that submitted uh, information about their implementations, and we had an impact award. And it was staggering the amount of firms that actually started implementing uh, bots, robotic process automation, in their organization to actually churn through processing a significant amount of data. Particularly, um, and I don't know if this makes sense, particularly in the retail sector, um, in terms of uh, managing a lot of like, uh, lease information that was, that was coming through from, uh, 
uh, from that sentence. Um, like sales data information? Yeah. 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 But there's an example, I think, of where the bot is overcoming like a failure to like potentially integrate some data, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, any questions on this topic from anyone in the audience? Who's actually considering AI implementation at the moment? A few of you? That's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to. Well, I mean, it's this thing, right? Friend or foe. And, uh, you know, we come up against it day in, day out. I think um, you know, e e people, people we sold into, we still kind of uh, encounter that, that foe um, kind of mindset because the users, the people that are typically used to handling these processes manually, are, are kind of scared of their jobs disappearing. Yeah. But actually, you know, we actually position this as an opportunity, right? To do more business, to focus on higher value processes. Um, and actually just to, you know, future-proofing, right? To kind of, you know, avoid being left in the dust when your competitor all of a sudden has improved margins by 10% because they're, you know, um, uh, they're using technology. Uh, the, 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 <laughs> the friend element is, is yeah, I mean, the, the, the kind of the senior decision makers, they know that technology is the future, so they're willing to spend money on it, but you know, that doesn't mean that every day when we sell into a company, you know, we, we, we often don't make the progress we want. Um, I think there's, this in, there's still this inherent fear about, you know, is it really going to work? Is it really going to save you time and money? Uh, you know, I'd always argue people to, you know, not expect too much on day one because, you know, w w this isn't a, uh, this isn't something that's been around for 10, 15 years. But, you know, if you're an early adopter, I, I, I strongly believe that you'll see, you know, ROI and value uh, in the future. Well, I would say, having had some um, involvement in the project, I think is a misunderstanding. It is a discovery because in those early stages, the amount of manual intervention you have to do to get to that understanding, to get to the point of the solution, understanding all the different leases and the variations. And I'd love to be in an ideal world where all leases were the same template. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> never happening, right? So, but the <coughs> job, and you shouldn't underestimate it, and you can't you know, suddenly magic up asset resources to give you guidance in terms of what's right and wrong within your organisation. So it's not fear, it's a resourcing issue, it's a prioritisation issue. Yeah, I think prioritisation for, for sure, yeah. Um, you know, I was having a conversation with some gentleman earlier whose, whose boss we sold into maybe 18 months ago, but it didn't go anywhere, right? Because the, the people on the ground, you know, didn't feel a burning desire to make it happen, make it work. The expectations were potentially mismanaged on our side on, on day one. Um, so yeah, I think, I think two very valid points. It's, it's always a challenging technology sale when someone, like, it's not a pain that may be apparent, right, yeah. today. Yeah. Um, it won't be until somebody loses a tender because somebody else came in 10% lower because they had, the, you know, the AI. So, I mean, I think that's the challenge at the moment is like, there's education to do before people understand that, like, I don't know, payment may be the wrong analogy, but um, people are risk averse to that sort of thing unless like something's poking them in the eye today. And I just think we're, we're in that cycle where people are starting to adopt, and so it's gonna be less scary. And, 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 but more to the point, it's gonna be like the baseline, and if you're not doing it, right, you're, you're in pain. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, we've actually got a couple of, you know, quite good, case studies about people that have gone through the process. It'll be interesting to look at how they took, took on that challenge 
uh, certainly uh, they seem to have gone through it reasonably successfully. But yeah, it's always the problem with any kind of technology kind of implement, in, implementation is taking the people with the right knowledge away from their day job to help get this system in place in order to save them the time that they're spending on that technology, on, on those tasks in the first place. Um, I'm just going to, in the interest of time, just uh, bring up a couple of points here. Um, so, you know, AI can help in terms of bringing, uh, pulling together that, 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 that data repository. Um, that, you know, consider like maybe a holistic kind of data approach in terms of, of how you're kind of pulling that uh, information together and what the longer term perspective is. But like, or maybe Dean, you can comment maybe about that phasing uh, of projects to kind of implement new technology um, and, and your approach with, with Top Up and how you ensure kind of success uh, with an implementation. Any implementation we do, we always say is 33% down to the implementation, as in the, the, the company is doing it, 33% down to the software, and 33% down to the actual clients buying themselves. You know, we, we quite often go through a, an implementation phase where a, a client will be will be adopting a solution, and the, from the from the client side of things, people sort of still have a full time job to do all day every day, which obviously presents um, issues during, during the implementation phase. And I think that's I think that's um, apt of any, any any type of solution, whether it be AI, property management, reporting, etc. Um, let's move on. Um, so we've, we've covered the relatively mature technology that's already out there. One that's kind of the, that kind of nascent point which is kind of breaking through. Uh, let's talk about the big one, um, about blockchain <laughs> and, and cryptocurrencies um, um, and whether it's actually kind of uh, ready for, for prime time. Um, let's start, um, Dean. Your views on, on where we are in the cycle with, with blockchain and cryptocurrencies? I think you picked on me because I said, don't talk to me about this on the call. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, um, you don't have to describe it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. Um, I have very limited knowledge um, about, obviously, implementation of blockchain, cryptocurrencies, etc. I mean, mm -hmm. from my view is that, you know, especially the real estate industry, it, it's not ready for it. You know, blockchain is nowhere near in a position to be able to be used. I understand it has some <coughs> limited use uh, in, in, in the US mm -hmm. with lease titles, um, but my understanding is that you know the, the industry is not really ready for it. Yeah, yeah. Stephen, yeah, I mean, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll cue off that. Like, so I mean, it's interesting, right? Like, and I, I'm not as familiar with with the usages here in the UK. Um, in the US now, municipalities are rolling out where you can pay taxes with Bitcoin. And like that to me is an interesting yeah. signal of like reliance on this on this like ethereal, no pun intended, um, you know, currency that like they're willing to take municipal <laughs> revenues from it. And I think it facilitates things. Um, obviously, with you know with Bitcoin, it's uh, it's it's somewhat. I mean, it, it does fluctuate, and like recently, there's been massive fluctuations. But one of the benefits is right, you don't have a, a currency um, risk potentially, right? You don't have of floating currency risk. Yeah. Um, as it pertains to blockchain in general, I mean, and adoption, one of the areas, it's real estate, and I, my, my experience with it is more on the side of the business I'm on the board of um, back, back at home, but like in the title industry, 
for, for property. There's a couple of companies trying to, you know, the, the title industry, and I, I know it's, it's an interesting uh, scenario here as well. I know it more, more in the U.S. It is, um, you know, the titles for any, like, property ownership is um, oftentimes you have to go to, like, a set of books that are on paper that go back to, like, the dawn of time, right? And so people yeah. spend a ton of money on title insurance just to buy a property, right? Like, so I'm going to buy, the, and it's the only insurance in the world that I'm aware of that insures you against something that already happened, right? Because if, if there's, like, a defect in the title, that's already there. It happened, like, a long time ago. But I'm buying insurance in case it did, right? As opposed to, like, my car insurance that, you know, maybe I'm going to run into a telephone pole or, or it's, that's, I wouldn't do that necessarily. But uh, whatever, the car is going to get... Uh, I'm going to get hit. Let's let's say that example. But um, you know, but but this this so there's a huge industry, a ton of spend. There's an interest and a, and a, a potential to to bring blockchain in because it is theoretically unbreakable chain, right? And it's 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 like it's um it, it's not necessarily administered by any specific uh, entity. Um, and so theoretically, it has this ability <coughs> to, to kind of build a bulletproof title um, digitally. But the problem is there's no incentive, like. There's a lot of industry, business players that have like a big incentive to preserve these profits they're making off of like ownership over these records and like a relatively low occurrence of, of insurance um, payouts. So anyway, that's my, my cynical view. I mean, it's the perfect solution. Nobody's got the right incentive, so I don't think it'll ever happen, at least not in my lifetime. Um, Richard, do you have thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I echo the sentiment uh, from these two gentlemen. You know, it is, you look at the Swedish land registry, I think which is kind of what you're referring to. I mean, they're, they're, they're using it. Um, I, the, the kind of the, the commercial impact uh, and what it's really achieving for day-to-day -day, uh, you know, people looking to access those titles, I'm not sure. You know, I actually spent some time with the UK land registry uh, about six months ago who are you know, exploring you know, smart contracts um, on an Ethereum blockchain uh, for, for mortgage underwriting. But it, it's it's so 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 theoretical, uh, right? And uh, you know, even they admitted that this would be a kind of five to ten year discovery project before anything ever really got pushed into production. And I think it's because you know I asked the question you know, why. I think that no one's really figured out whether or not it's it's truly worthwhile. Um, in in the U.S., I, I've come across some some pretty interesting, relatively nascent businesses similar to Leverton. Um, that are using uh, blockchain technology uh, for, for real estate transactions. You know why? Because they um, promise to improve liquidity and you know reduce transaction friction, uh, which I think is you know probably two of the, the the things that you know prohibit people from doing deals in, in real estate predominantly. But fundamentally, you know that's kind of also two of the things um, or paradigms on which the real estate transaction market is built, and people are used to it, and people are kind of comfortable with it and it, it's kind of this thing you know if it isn't really broken why are you trying to fix it with this new age technology which is which no one really yet truly 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 understands um i i, I personally think that you know, real estate in the way that it adopts and, and um uh, uh you know well, adopts new technology is probably 10 to 15 years behind the finance industry uh, some banks are, are slowly now warming up to the idea of using, I think it's uh, this cryptocurrency called Ripple for cross-border payments. Um, you know, you've got five years ago, all the kind of um, derivative traders got fired for most banks and replaced with algorithms. At JLL and CBRE, there's still 20,000 people reading leases for a living. Uh, so I think that kind of thing needs to be addressed first, and then the, the smarter, more... Um, well, it's the smarter but more daunting technologies I think will slowly come into adoption. But yeah, 
maybe 10, 15, 20 years away. Um, I, I can't say much more than that. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. You know, um, obviously the cryptocurrency itself, that aspect, uh, we can see relevance and we can see usage. Um, it, it helps in terms of uh, maybe uh, when we kind of look at tokenization of, of, an, uh, of uh, investment. Um, basically, you know, so for, so for me personally, I'm, on the business side, I'm cynical. On the personal side, I'm slightly excited that after putting two daughters through university, that I might actually be able to afford to get into real estate through uh, through that, uh, oh, the securitization. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a trend as well. Like you, cool. you see companies like doing uh, what is it? Like CPOs? Is that what they call them? Like instead of an initial public offering. ICOs. 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 Yeah. That's interesting, right? It, it yeah. sort of, um, I don't know, um, takes the ability to raise capital on an institutional level out of the hands of like investment banks. Yeah. Which I think is similar to what you're yeah. talking about with yeah. raising capital for property. I think that's interesting, but it's. It's risky. There's a reason that stuff's regulated, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, on the blockchain side, um, yeah, I, I, I think that there's still some way to go. Um, just as an example, I shared this earlier. If someone, if anyone was in my session, is you know, I, I kind of uh, was reading basically that um, if you think of, of blockchain and you think of the concepts of blockchain. So the information that you're storing is distributed, um, it's irrefutable, um, it's stored in multiple places, it can't be deleted everywhere. Um, and then you think of GDP half, and you think about how, you know, we're getting into issues with storing people's personal data. So if blockchain had matured five years ago, or GDPR was coming later, then there would be this huge clash between information that's stored that needs to be deleted, but in theory, if it was deleted, would destroy the blockchain, versus um, the regulation uh, that's coming in. So, how it's used, um, certainly if you're considering at this point, I think you need to consider very carefully uh, what you're storing on the blockchain, um, and, uh, and how you're gonna use it. Um, is it adding value? I, I think it could, um, uh, even now, in terms of um, what we're seeing perhaps of, in certain areas. Uh, so, so think about maybe um, building maintenance, uh, storage of um, service requests, maintenance requests, um, I, uh, how the building has been maintained over time. Um, that information could be very valuable uh, to share with someone um, when you're actually then valuing and selling that building. Um, and, and the fact that someone can't go back and alter that maintenance record to show that something has been maintained properly um, is, is very important. Um, but I think on, it's, that's an interesting point. But one of the things I learned uh, about really, I mean, I'm not, I don't have a real estate background, really, two and a half years I, I've been doing this, but I, I learned very early on that a lot of people you know, make money in this industry and are excited because of the asymmetry of information. Uh, and I think they're scared about blockchain because it kind of it, that dissipates, right? It's like yeah. it no longer exists as a paradigm. So I think the guys, um, you know, the good big transaction powerhouses, etc., I, I think they're kind of nervous about this. Yeah. 
Um, who's in the process of implementing or using blockchain? Anyone? Yeah. It's less than that. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to walk out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. Just uh, let me just. Uh, so maybe there's some practical applications in the short term, like that maintenance. Implications in the long term, for sure. Um, let's let's just kind of um, share the crystal ball for a minute. Um, people's thoughts on on the next great innovative technology to. to in the real estate market, or in general, that uh, the audience should be thinking about or considering. I'll let any of you jump in first. To I mean, I think it's. I think the technology is there, right? I don't think there's going to be a new technology. I think now it's really just about adoption. I mean, the the number of hands that went up uh, regarding considering <coughs> AI was was kind of. I mean, not concerning, but you know, surprising. And I think that, that this technology does really have very strong promise. Uh, I think. It is down to companies like ours and others to set expectations straight. You know, a very good point that, that was made in the audience. Um, but I, you know, I, I do believe that you know the, the kind of the big data stuff, the the AI, the M, um, the ML, the RPA stuff is, is all there. Uh, it works. Uh, it isn't perfect, um, but you know this is a, a journey that these companies need to go on. And I think it's really about taking the plunge and you know taking a leap of faith um, because you know I think that you, you will see the benefits over time. Anything? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I um, it's probably not not sexy, but I think um, a lot of you know what's next is, in some cases, you know, looking back a little bit. Like I, I was an evangelist of of getting rid of Excel at one point in my technology career, and um, you know, now working for a company that drives um, Excel uh, solutions, just acknowledging the fact that business is done on Excel. And, and you know we sell a solution that, that enables um, that usage, but there is a time and a place for everything, right? Like there is a place for web-based <coughs> analytical dashboarding solutions, visualizations, things like that. And I think it's just you know right tool for the right job. Um, trying to be practical. You, you made a point earlier about um, about uh, self-service, um, or I think it was it was in the context of like not having to go back to the IT department. You know, part of the problem is like you know let's assume you've done your work and you know the question you're trying to answer you probably won't know all the right data points to get that answer. You don't know the most you, don't know. you don't know what you don't know. So you start and you, you go to the IT department and you say, I need these data points. And then they get it to you two weeks later and you get it back and you're like, oh, I need one more. Yeah. And you go through that cycle again and it's like soul crushing and it just creates yeah. like so much time. <laughs> Versus like being able to have the data at your fingertips, like you know, with an analytics product where you can kind of like tweak and play, or with an insight software where you've got it all in Excel and you can kind of do your thing and you can push the button and update. Like, it's magical for the users and there's a little bit of training required, but it's not like I have to go through IT school to do it. You know, so I guess my point is like, the things that de-risk are the democratization of some of these things, so it's self-service and um, maybe being a little more practical with the tools and, and knowing the question you're gonna you're gonna answer. I think you're right. I think, I mean, I remember being in the exact same position myself, however long ago it was now, was saying we have to get rid of Excel because, you know, we had those silos of data where accountants would work on their spreadsheets and, you know, not know what they're doing. And then we had the evolution, obviously, where systems become more open and connected. And I think we're obviously going to see more and more of that as, we, as, as time progresses and things are going to become more and more connected. And 
with, with the use of things like AI and you know the, the data intelligence and the integration of that data, I think things become a lot more a lot more free and, and a lot more um, exchangeable. I think is probably the word, where I want to go. Sort of open and connect about, about the whole open and connected mantra really that you don't have these big hurdles that you say, you haven't got to go to the IT department and go, okay, I need these five data points in, into my solution. The fact is that the systems will instantly know that automatically and they'll be able to connect and, and relate to each other without that need for, for, for that. By the way, I think that's a great point. The open and connected piece is necessary to realize the promise of a lot of these things to the extent that vendors are like doing this, and, and a lot of times there's a business case to do this, but in the end game, you're sort of diminishing the value your client's getting and it's a losing strategy, you know? So the more open, like some companies are really getting their head around this, surprisingly. Oracle, with their cloud solution, has built like a really, well, sorry, SAP is doing a better job. SAP, with their advanced cloud solution, has done a wonderful job exposing like all their <coughs> points, much like MRI is doing, right? Yeah. So, um, I mean, that is the innovation that will allow people to like break the silos down and build practical stuff, you know, that's designed for what they want to do. Versus what the vendor thinks they want to do. And you see, everyone's <laughs> interest in there, isn't it? It's in the software vendor's interest because ultimately their system's more exposed. It's in the user's interest because they've got more access data points. And it's kind of a win win for everyone. Like you say, the, the companies that are out there still today who have got that, that siloed mantra where they're single stack and you can only use my FM, my, my property management, my investment management, and don't, don't play nicely with other people, that I think ultimately they're going to end up losing out unless they change their ways very quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. flexible and adaptable to. And, and being able to connect to outside sources. Um, I'm getting the signal that we need to wrap up. Uh, apologies uh, that we can't carry on enough. I'll, I'll open it up to questions. Hope it was useful and insightful to you. Um, thank you for your time.